This is the Brooklyn Defenders Office in East New York, and we're here today to listen in on discussions surrounding the immaculate reconception of Craig Lewis. He's one of the many New Yorkers impacted by NYPD's use of a gang database, what many are calling Stop and Frisk 2.0. Actually, you know what? Here's the thing. A lot of the folks we interviewed in this series were impacted by the gang database, obviously. And they dealt with that trauma through restorative justice and advocacy. All of them were put in a corner, facing an incomprehensibly vast system of obstacles. I get to the courtroom and there's cameras. I'm scared because I don't know why I'm there. My bail is really high. It went above and beyond what most normal people can endure. And we have to appreciate the resiliency there. We hope these videos aren't just highlighting the injustices, but also the solutions and the sacrifices that it took to find them. And here's another, another one. This is Craig Lewis. We'll let him tell a story. I had four years I went and got my bachelor's in criminal justice with hopes of becoming a lawyer. Got a job and I went back to school to get more accolades so I could get into law school. I went to the grad school at University of Bridgeport and I was about to graduate. I had one more semester when I got indicted. The NYPD arrested 120 people in the Bronx in what was the largest gang takedown in New York City history. The arrests were the result of then New York City Police Commissioner Ray Kelly's, quote, Operation Crew Cut. But he didn't break the law, and I'll get back to that later. But it all comes down to this guy, Pre Barrara. These gangs have been at war with each other and other gangs in the Bronx for nearly a decade, as we allege. These gangs, by the way, didn't distinguish between rival gang members and law-abiding residents of the community. If you were in the wrong place, at the wrong time, you could be shot, stabbed, even killed. Craig Lewis was one of the few people to survive pre Barrara. He was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York from 2009 to 2017. He was an all-star federal prosecutor from the Obama years who earned notoriety for a variety of things, most recently standing up to Trump during the 2017 purge of Obama appointees. Anyway, around 2016, Barrara championed the mass arrests made from the gang database, calling them gang takedowns. We bring these charges so that all New Yorkers, including those in public housing, can live their lives as they deserve free of drugs, free of guns, and free of gang violence. But as we've already shown, these gang takedowns devastated neighborhoods and falsely imprisoned an untold number of Black and Latinx New Yorkers. Craig's case was just one of them. I blamed that on Pre Barrera because he signed off on my indictment. And when I addressed him, he really had no answer for me. He basically said, humans make mistakes, police make mistakes, and such is life. But how would your kid feel? He's not being hyperbolic here. In a 2018 City Hall hearing, NYPD Chief of Detectives German Shea admitted to city council members that 1,460 children under the age of 18 were added to the gang database, including 204 15-year-olds. And oh, and literally 99% of all the people on the gang database were either Black or Latinx. Anyway, Craig was going up against one of the most powerful prosecutors in the country, a man that carried the full weight of the federal government and could use every tool in the book, including RICO, short for Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, a broad conspiracy statute made in 1970 to go after the mob. Just listen. When I first got arrested, I seen the judge, the arraignment, 
the prosecutor was so adamant that like, I was basically the devil, and he said that I tried to shoot some people and I got shot in the process two different times. And then I looked at my mother crying because I never been shot before, so that whole story was made up. Yeah, you heard that right. Prosecutors were trying to convince a jury that Craig was a gunshot victim without the gunshot wound. They were rewriting Craig's reality, fitting it into a narrative they needed to sell. They were the ones who made up all these rules about what evidence is admissible and us having due process of law, meaning we're supposed to have a fair right to a trial. We know you get qualified for a gang member oftentimes because of associations. In my trial with Kenneth Jones, the um, testimony was that if you have two of these 10 factors, you're a gang member. These experts have a flawed process to identify people as gang members, and they come in and they get to testify about all this stuff that oftentimes is irrelevant and wrong. Absolutely wrong. And the judge still said 1.5 million. 1.5 million dollars for bail. A 2013 review of New York City's jail system by the Harvard Law Review concluded that more than 50% of defendants couldn't afford bail of $2,500 or less. Craig Lewis had to pay $1.5 million for bail. Just to put this in perspective, Harvey Weinstein's initial bail was set at $1 million. And this is where the story ends for a lot of the 119 other people swept up in the Bronx gang takedown. But as prosecutors would soon find out, Craig was different. Believe it or not, we came up with it. <laughs> and I'm standing on the table like, yo, I'm coming home, radio, mixtape. Now, you can argue that prosecutors didn't expect that $1.5 million bail to be paid. And it's not just because they said it in court, but it's also because defendants are more likely to take a plea deal when waiting for the trial in jail rather than home. But Craig made bail. Like the other 101 defendants forced to stay in jail before trial, prosecutors hoped to pressure Craig into a plea deal in exchange for an earlier immediate release. But Craig made bail. <laughs> and I'm standing on the table like, yo, I'm coming home, radio, mixtape. They appealed it, no lie, and they denied my bail. And he wasn't alone. CUNY Law School's Bronx 120 report found that even though none of the 120 arrested were charged with murder, prosecutors still referred to other murders and violence in the area to successfully argue against bail for 101 of the 120 defendants. During those two years in jail, Craig tried to wrap his brain around why this was happening. I was supposed to graduate, get my master's, go on to FAMU Law School in Orlando, and live happily ever after. Like when they deemed me a menace to society and I sat there in the cell, I started thinking like, oh, they can't say I shot anybody. They can't say I did this, I did that. My only thing that was a threat to them was how smart I was. They knew that I was gonna go to law school. They didn't give me bail. They knew I had a graduation to attend to. They didn't give me bail. They didn't know what I did, but they took my bail. He figured prosecutors saw him as a threat, not to their safety, but to their case. Just as Preparara had the power to upturn Craig's life, so too did Craig's innocence threaten the validity of Barrara's gang takedowns and whether these massive arrests were targeting innocent people. The way I got out was that I copped out to a gun charge that they had absolutely no evidence. And Judge Kaplan threw out the police. He said it was injustice because there was no evidence supporting that I was a drug dealer. So when they threw that out, they passed me a weed charge which was 250 pounds, and the statute was four to eight months. Four to eight months, and I already did 22 months. So I took the weed charge because I knew I would come home eventually. Now when I went to cop out for the weed, 
He was like, yo, he's not sentencing me to no time. Sentencing me to time, sir. And that's how I got out of jail. I did my time, but I'm happy to be here. Me and all my friends are gone. You know me and them 10. I'm here doing this for them. And for the youth and all the black children and the Spanish people too. And that's important to remember. Because like Africa owes, Craig was an exception. I got a job in Bronx Connect, and I'm a certified Cure Violence member. I'm out here, you know, trying to mediate the violence, trying to keep our youth out of jail. So we go in hands on and mediate the conflict. Take those funds away from the police, put them in ATIs, sort of justice programs, the community itself. That money actually take it to address issues. So if you're saying, hey, 14 to 16 year olds commit crimes during this time, spend all that extra money to address 14 to 16 year olds between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. And that crime that was being created will be taken away. Do that, and there's no need for the police at all. Like there are tangible ways to do it in the money that we're already spending. So yes, stop funding them and stop thinking that somehow they're gonna make us safer. They don't. We don't get safer because we have more police. We do the jobs that the police try and do, but we do not lock people up. Wait. Pay attention because that is the difference right there. We do the jobs that the police try and do, but we do not lock people up. How do you protect your community from gun violence? Not to mention the subsequent over-policing and mass incarceration. Intervene before the violence occurs. That's what Craig and other anti-violence workers do. Here's how it works. He gets a call and he goes and he squashes a beef, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody was gonna go and retaliate against someone or commit an act of violence over someone, that, that's a crime that could end up on the 10 o'clock news tonight. But it didn't happen because Craig and other people like him went and squashed it. If the police had gotten there, they would have arrested them, there would have been a body, there would have been a body in, in the graveyard, there would have been a body in the prison, and there would have been possibly a RICO case out of it. But if you replace the police by making them obsolete because you fund people like Craig to go do the work so that the crime never happens to begin with, that's how you start to replace police and not just say get rid of them because they're bad, but get rid of them because we have someone better. Did you catch that? He said, not and not just to say, say get rid of them because they're bad, but get rid of them because we have someone better. And that's the crux of this video. Showing the alternative to law enforcement that doesn't destroy the community it's trying to protect. Me and all my friends are gone, you know, minimum 10. I'm here doing this for them and for the youth and all the black children. And surviving pre wasn't the only obstacle Craig faced. In fact, he experienced something oftentimes overlooked in terms of how people experience this trauma, the isolation of recovery. Like Craig said, Me and all my friends are gone, you know, minimum 10, I'm here doing this for them. It's easy to ignore what it really feels like for these communities impacted by the gang takedowns. There's an alienation that falls to people returning home and the people missing loved ones on the inside. You have to learn how to be alone. My best friend, he got convicted for armed carjacking at 17 years old. He has been in jail since we've been 17. He's up for parole now. After losing him, I had no friends. I have very few friends that I can say go back to 13 and 14 years old because they're dead or they're in jail. The immaculate reconception of Craig Lewis came from his extraordinary resiliency in both the courtroom and his life back home. But extraordinary resiliency is just that, extraordinary. It's not an excuse to demand that from every victim of false imprisonment or over-policing. Craig and many people like him do the extraordinary so that we don't have to. And creating a sustainable alternative to conventional policing does that. Meow. 
Guys, thank you for joining me. It's been a, a wild ride making these videos for you. If you want to help make more of these videos possible, please support us in the link below or visit policeandjustice.org for more info. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this channel and hit that notification bell to catch the latest episode on Game Database. Or if this is the first episode you watch, click here to see the rest. Oh, and this video is shot and edited by The Noseball. If you want to support them, please donate to their Patreon page or hire them for your own documentary video. Just visit thenoseblog.com or email me, paul, at paulthenoseblog.com. Thanks again, guys, and see you soon. Um, guys, thank you for joining me. I, I rarely actually, I, usually these days I don't get in front of the camera because I kind of want to make the, the subject uh, centerfold, but you know, it's been, I figured I'd do like a little bit of a cameo for the video. I, I'm not going to say all that. Okay, cool. Bam, bam, bam. Easy.